Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about hindsight is 2020 with the help of special guests. Tim and Steve for Modeler's Advantage in Linthicum, Maryland. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host, Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Fowler, and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. So, the intro really needs to be Tim and Steve are going to talk about some stuff without any guests. So, some of you know, if you've listened for a while, that we like to do this every now and then. Uh, get some things off of our chest, get some things out to you, and uh, just enjoy this process again. So hopefully our listeners enjoy that as well as they enjoy the guests. So after one session uh, a, a little bit ago, Steve and I were commenting and talking about, like, what would it have been like if we'd have known everything that we know now back before we started each of us started our own business. Now I'm up, I'm one up on Steve in the sense that I've started a business twice. And so the second time around, I actually did know some of the things that we talk about and it did make a huge difference. So we thought it would be fun just to share uh, five things that he uh, has on his mind, five things that I have on my mind and just kind of hopefully they resonate with you uh, out there in podcast world. But before we get to that, uh, I've been reflecting a bit on where I have been in my consulting. Now, this is a shameless plug here, so everybody get ready for that. So it turns out that I still have five states that I have not been to. So out of the 50 states, there's five I haven't been to. So if you're a listener in Utah, Oklahoma, Wyoming, Montana, or New Mexico, get in touch. Let's see if we can get something set up. Or if you're in Wyoming or Montana and you love fly fishing, let's get in touch and see if maybe I can come out and do some fishing. All right. <laughs> so back to Steve and I. So the truth of the matter is we're both males, right? Uh, uh, speaking for myself, I'm a little stubborn. I think Steve might be as well. And maybe even a little bit cocky about, you know, what we know and what we don't know. So maybe, maybe things would never have been any different. But we're going to assume that we have actually listened to our older, wiser selves and we've run our businesses like we had learned something. And as I mentioned before, I had the privilege of starting my own business twice, a uh, small business in Thomasville, Georgia basically working for wages. Uh, I left town with a pickup truck and some tools. I didn't know anybody, anything. And I thought, wow, I did okay. Right. Then in 2009, I had to go back into the remodeling world as a business owner. And I actually applied some of the things that I had learned since I had gotten out in 1989. And I did markup and I did margin and I actually made some money. And so it does work. If you apply the things that you learn, you can change the way you do business. So Steve and I are going to share some things today that we've learned through 
our life, both talking about it as well as being on jobs. Yeah, Tim, it was interesting when we talked during the last round of podcasts that we recorded. And, you know, for me, I talk to remodelers every day from across the country. That's what I've been doing since I started with RA. So, I mean, from the very first time I started just learning what other people were doing and comparing it to my experience and just being, wow, I can't, that was, <laughs> man, it did take a while for me to, you know, even get past a hurdle like that, but. So let's yeah, go and, so, and yeah. so some some people have been doing this for twenty or thirty years and are finally got it. Yeah. So maybe we maybe we can help some people that have only been doing it for ten years. Yeah. And now they now they can get it. Yeah. Hopefully, and you know, I mean, I'll I'll do almost like a a, a preface for myself as we start here. I mean, for me, I had um, you know was architectural engineering in college and got out, worked for a contractor while I was searching for a a job in new home construction and just happened to work for a, a contractor not long enough. For me, they, you know, from not coming from a construction background, uh, family, father was financial planner, you know, for me, the preface of all of this would be get a little more experience. <laughs> and don't start the company you until go. you there are ready. But, yeah. you know, that was a 24-year-old. That, uh... yep. So anyway, so number one for me, you know, this is in no particular order. I think yours is as well. Um, but uh, starting off with better job descriptions. So uh, I think there's a lot to be said for however you put out your job description, however you're looking for people uh, recruiting within your company. Um, the job description sets an entire tone for the work that they will do, the type of company you run. It gets people motivated. And for me, I kind of just did you know, it was a lot of times the bare bones based on what I needed in terms of experience and the job at hand. But it didn't pull into the fact that culture had to play a part of this and, and the person who is motivated, who does work well with people, who does communicate well. And a lot of attributes that I think are so important in construction and overlooked on the beginning part of um, you know, as searching for a, a person, let it be a carpenter's helper all the way up to a production manager, you know, to a, a COO, whatever it was. You know, I think it, that would, as I've seen other companies in their job descriptions, that was one thing that I really felt like I missed the boat on. <laughs> yeah. So most companies' job descriptions focus on the physical work. Yeah. And, and that is important, but very few of them focus on all the, tangibles but also the intangibles yes. that are required to be a great employee and and somebody especially in remodeling that's in somebody's home all right so number two which is my number one right so i have this thing i'm calling proactive markup and this is something that's occurred to me because many many people are growing but they're trying to catch up financially to the growth as opposed to being financially stable so that the growth occurs. So what I mean in this is that if you're a small business operator and your next hire is going to be an office manager, you should be charging the markup that's required for that office manager before they're hired. Not only will you have that money in the bank to actually train them to be the office manager that you want, but also your clients will be used to paying 
the markup that you need to make your business run. The other way that people do it is they hire, then they try to mark up. And I believe that's a harder way to do it. So I'm really encouraging people to stay one step ahead on your markup and therefore your margin, but the profitability so that as you're growing, you're already paying for, or should I say your clients are already paying for the positions that you need within your business. Yeah. And I mean, for me with that one is the son of a financial planner is you never, you always give yourself a car payment so that you save and can pay cash. I mean, it's kind of like the same <laughs> right, thought. Right. So you're planning exact, for that. That's exactly the concept. And I, I, again, I think people are not thinking far enough ahead when they're thinking about these things. So again, if you're looking at a production manager a year from now, you need to be charging for that production manager now. So you have money in the bank. So uh, my number three here would be more transparency with the team uh, in terms of the role they play in profit and the overall numbers, uh, the budget for the project all the way down. You know, it was usually kind of a surface level. Uh, myself, you know, the uh, project manager, whoever was going to be running the job had that access. But I think that as we've talked to people in this show particularly is – the number of people that know where they stand and how the dollars uh, reflect in the schedule and all of the decisions and things that we make during the project, um, how it's affected and, and why it's important. You know, it's just not a, a thing where the money is going to rise to the top. It's why it's important. It's a, the stability of the entire company, their role, my role, everyone. So that would be my number three. So, the comment I want to make about that is uh, one of my little sayings that I have is the more people you have watching the dollars, the greater your chances are of actually creating a profit. And yeah. so if your helpers don't know how their activities impact the profitability of a job, they're not going to care. They're not going to care about time wasted. They're not going to care about standing around. They're not going to care about a lot of things. But when they know, a lot of times they care a great deal. And so I can't tell you how many times I've presented financial information to a company and the employees come up to me afterwards and say, wow, if I would have known this, yeah. I would have done something differently. Yeah. And it's just now maybe they were blowing smoke at the visiting professor, but I don't think so. I think they were honestly, they care about the business. They want the company to succeed. All right. Number four is very similar to the first one that Steve had in the job descriptions, but I'm just calling it managing people is key. And again, part of the challenge that we have as business owners in the remodeling world or construction is most of us come at this from we've learned how to build a project. We know how to get a project built but we don't often know how to manage people or supervise people or be a good employer or whatever you want to call it. And so one of the things that I have seen just demonstrated over and over and over again is that most of the people who have very good, successful working companies have figured out people management skills. Now, some of them have learned them from books some of them have been to school for such things, but, uh, and some of them have just learned them, you know, the, the school of hard knocks, but they've learned uh, what motivates people. They've learned yeah. um, 
how to motivate people. Uh, they've learned how to be positive, when to be positive, when to be challenging, positive ways. It's just all these things that go into people management that if you were to go to school or quite frankly, when you go to uh, like, I have a good friend of mine that's in the Coast Guard and he's moving from the uh, the ranks that are not officers to the officers ranked. And he went to school for three weeks to learn how to be an officer. Right. Yeah. And that's because it's a world that's different from him. And so maybe that's the kind of thing we don't do that in our business. We just hire people. Yeah. And so I think one of the things, read some books, learn some skills and, and, and learn how to help people succeed. Therefore they'll help you succeed. Yeah. That your last line right there was everything is you will put people in the right position to move up within your company. Um, yeah, that's perfect. And there's a ton of resources out there. You name yes. books all the time, but they're, they're all in good ones. You know, it's not kind of repetitive stuff. So, uh, that was number four. This is number five. Uh, my number three, uh, I bundled two here, but this was having an little overlap with this, but, uh, having an overall sales process or system. I mean, there's, as I've learned, uh, you know, a lot of people using Sandler sales. I think that's an absolutely fantastic system, not to just set them apart, but I, you know, it's something I'm familiar with, uh, and especially within remodeling. But, you know, just not the process of sales itself. I mean, it's from the qualifying of the leads all the way to the pipeline, managing the pipeline as it reflects um, on the production end as well. So, where's my look ahead and in, in what I'm have in my own pipeline versus what's happening in production as well. So just an overall sales management across the board is something that I've seen people do well. And it is incredible. The systems that I've seen that, you know, people have the runway or a certain standard that they use. It's a numerical kind of a 30, 30, 30 of having 30 days of here and there. And I'll butcher that, but, you know, just having <laughs> a system around um, sales all the way through. Yeah, you know, you and I, Steve, hear it quite often, you know, we can't do that in our market. Yeah. And sometimes it revolves around the proper markup and sometimes it revolves around other things. But I think what you and I have both seen is that a good sales system and and again, we're not talking about tripping tricking people no. or no. conning people into that's not sales. Uh, that's conning people, so, but no. it's it's just the ability to work with people in a way that gets them to buy from you is a really really important. Well, and sales gets you in front of the right people that appreciate Correct. doing good work, and all the way through. Yeah, six. number six. So I have down uh, making decisions based on the numbers, not so much the feelings. And again, this is one of those really challenging things because. Uh, I think Victoria Downing is just uh, always talking about how nice remodelers are. She'll often say, <laughs> you guys are the nicest people in the world. And it's really true. A lot of us make yeah. decisions based on niceness or uh, what do we think? What do we think is the best thing for this person? But it's not about the numbers. And I'm not a cold, hard you know, numbers guy, but quite often we need to think about. So from a production standpoint, I'm looking at things to say like, like what are our estimates versus actuals telling us? 
is the ast- estimate accurate or is it I just don't think my guys are producing, right? Those are two different conversations, and we need to look at it like what do the numbers tell us in in specific? What about that one lead carpenter who is not producing at a profit, right? We like them. They have a family. They, you know, there's all these feelings and emotions that come into it. And I wouldn't say just fire them because they aren't performing, but we have to make decisions based on the dollars and cents of that employee versus the other's things. The same thing would go free for that, that problematic employee that's just, uh, you know, negative all the time. Chances are very, very good that they're not producing at a profit. But somehow in our heads, we've got this idea that we can't live without them. And especially in this world where the labor is really tight. And so we go like, I can't live without them. I have to have them on my staff as opposed to, you know what? The information is they are bad for my company. Therefore, I'm going to let them go regardless of whether I can replace them or not. Because I'm going to tell you, having seen this a lot of times, other people will rise to the occasion and help you when you get rid of that dead wood. So it's, it's, it's not just about dollars and cents, but yeah. it's about the facts in the situation, not just the way we feel about it. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could steal that one from you because that was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's just so true. And you see an entire organization rise once certain things are removed. Um, yes. So I just, based on your uh, answer there, because we did not consult, this is, we're all learning here as we didn't, uh, you know, talk about our list. So I'm moving my (laughs) next one up, but it's an overall uh, protecting of the profit. And I think is it that Peter Drucker, what gets measured gets managed. And I think it's, did I get that right? I hope so. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I'll find out if I didn't, but I think that, uh, you know, as you kind of talk about, um, I think just using data to help estimates versus actual. You talk about setting budgets and then all the way through and looking. I mean, I mentioned in the beginning of having the team involved. and But, you know, early in the early days of, um, you know, kind of protecting my lack of preparation using um, the diminishing of profits for customer service. You know, and that happens – Early on when you're trying to, uh, your consistent mess ups, I think it's an overall uh, overarching kind of uh, mindset or thought within the company of making sure that, you know, we're going to protect the schedule. We're going to protect the estimate. We're going to protect the profit all the way across. Yeah, I think there's a tendency uh, for companies to dare I say it, think like it is what it is yes. in, in those yeah. regards. And, and rather than getting really serious about it, and when I do a training on, on scheduling mm-hmm. or budget, mm-hmm. the very first question is, you know, not the question, but the very first comment is attitude is key. You will never, ever hit a schedule if the option is always available to change it. Yes. No, there's no way. If we can violate the schedule willy nilly, you'll never hit it. Same thing with budget. If if there's always an option of it's okay if we go over budget. And so I love that. I love that concept of protecting. 
yeah. protecting the budget, protecting the profit, protecting the schedule is a great, great concept. And we've learned a lot of things in scheduling through this podcast that would, uh, you know, that I yes. would have used, you know, is being you know, certain look aheads, but being able to move things around that it will work. Yes, it definitely will. All right. Number eight, which is a little similar to Steve's, but I want to uh, kind of embellish it a little bit more. But the way I've written it is learn how to sell, not take orders. And so this goes this goes back to uh, that idea of how do, how am I competitive with my uh, the people in my market? And I heard a speaker just a few weeks ago, talk about how what you're really looking for is to not be competitive. Because if you're competitive, you're basically putting that power in the hands of somebody else. And you, if you get the job, you're basically just taking an order from somebody else and you're no longer in control. You no longer are the one that's managing that process. And so developing a sales system or learning just to be in control of the process. Another way that I like to put this is instead of working for the client, you're getting the client to work for you. Mm. So it gets down to the idea like they say, well, I just can't make up my mind on those selections. Okay, we understand that, but here's the ramifications of that. So if you want to start your project on March 1st, you really don't have a choice but to get these things selected. It's, yeah. it's your in your ballpark. So that's really, I guess that's really what I want to say because it's, it's part of the sales process too. Going into a, somebody's house, sharing with them your information, but then saying like, are you on board with me? As opposed to, oh, please, please, please buy this because I need some work. There's just a totally different mindset getting the client to work for you versus you working for the client. Yeah, and I think that plays a role in a lot of the Sandler sales system as well yeah. is uh, managing the process, managing yes. the sales process. But, And I think another important thing is that you are the expert and you should yes. act that way. And so Definitely. an upsell is not a bad thing. That's you seeing something that could happen that they have not thought about before because you've done – 50, 60 kitchens, you know, so you know in that layout of that neighborhood why this will work. So uh, back to me, number nine. Uh, this really plays from one of my favorite episodes of the Tim Fowler show is um, the zero punch list. I would never yep. do a punch list again if I could help it. I mean, yep. you know, I think that we just we just got done talking about managing um, the project all the way through and if you did that from the start, first call, all the way to the sales process, through production, design, the whole thing, and you get to the end, and then you turn it over and you say, you tell us if we did a good job. Again, that's dramatic, but I think that's really what used to happen is, yeah. you know, we have not prepared, we have not uh, checked the boxes along the way enough where we're not sitting here celebrating. And what the uh, byproduct of that was, you know, these long projects where it was a beautiful finished product had a sometimes felt like a stale ending almost <laughs> of, of leaving and we're all just walking away, you know. And I always had fantastic clients, people I still keep in touch with and people that raved. Yeah. But, you know, it just seemed when you were at the end that that blue tape world was a, <laughs> a sour note on a great project. 
Yeah, I think uh, I, I almost wanted to make the tagline for the Tim Fowler show being, we're doing our best to help you eliminate the punch list. But, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe that'll change again at some point in time. But it is a it is a real challenge. And part of it's just the expectation. You know, the whole world says there's going to be a punch list. And so it's very hard to fight that stream. But it would yep. be wonderful, wouldn't it, one day that in the remodeling world, you know, basically nobody expected to see a list, right? Yeah. And yeah. that we performed in a way that didn't didn't make it necessary. So, all right, number 10. And uh, this is just something that I think is critical uh, for particularly from a production standpoint, and that is to be honest about start dates and completion dates. And this does relate to the punch list, it, it, but more importantly, setting start dates that are relative to having everything selected. We've heard it over and over and over again on the podcast. You know, uh, I think the difference between the commercial side and the residential side is commercial gets everything selected ahead of time. Uh, I remember talking to one of the, the guys about insurance work and here's somebody's house is flooded and we're sitting down with them and saying, Oh, we can't start until you pick your kitchen faucet. You know, I just was astounded that they were pushing the envelope like that. And yet, the businesses that were walking into a fully functioning house and we say, Oh yeah, we'll get started next week. And then you can pick everything is ridiculous. It's insane. Yeah. And then the same thing would be true for the completion dates, being realistic, you know, being realistic. That's another challenge to the scheduling process is we, the client says, I want to be in by labor day. And we say, sure, no problem. Yeah. As opposed to yeah. saying, no way it'll be Halloween. Right. And, and we, we end up with very disappointed clients when we do that. Yeah. I, again, going back to the, the sales part, but you know, you are the expert, you know, how long it's going to take for the job at that rate. And, you know, it's, it's almost like, uh, if, if a company gets a job at a, uh, a lower, uh, cost, but they're going to make the price where you were through change orders or you know, right. through, you know, and they're going to not hit it on Labor Day. We know that. But to get the project, <laughs> we're not going to be willing to do that. Right. Tell the truth. So uh, overall, I think when we have these shows, Tim, it's important to show gratitude to the audience and just thankful for all of the feedback that we get and uh, just the opportunity to be able to do this and talk about these subjects because we have a fantastic time and we love uh, just learning from the guests and learning from the people we talk to. So that's an overall thank you from Tim and I to everybody that listens. Yeah. And I just uh, want to say the same thing. Thank you so much. It's, we have about 800 uh, listeners at this point. Uh, obviously week, we're looking Dennis. for more, yeah. but um, I do keep a list by the way, if you haven't heard your topic and you have sent me a note that says, could you get this on? It's not because I've ignored it. It's because it's on the list. I'm looking for guests that will help with that. And then, as you've heard me say many times before, I'm talking with somebody in some city in the United States, and they, they say something very interesting. And guess what? It gets in front because I, I get excited about it. So I am working down through the list. Keep those ideas coming in. I'd love to hear from you. I do like to hear, I know Steve likes to hear about any positive impact the show is having on you and your business. We'd love to hear about that. 
And um, uh, just keep on listening. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, at The Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com slash consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.